The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. Today's sermon is pre-recorded. 
thorns of destruction. Almighty God, I do not want thorns growing up in my life. And I ask tonight by your grace and by your mercy and by the word spoken that those thorns could be cut off and burned. Lord, have mercy upon us tonight. Let us see the reality of our condition before you. And let nothing deceive our hearts. Let no false prophet speak to us. But Lord, speak your truth into our hearts. Disturb us in the name of Jesus. Amen. Matthew 24 and 25 begin to speak about end times. Begins to speak about what will happen when Jesus comes. That was the question the disciples asked him. What's going to happen? What's the sign of all these things happening when Jerusalem is going to be destroyed? But then they ask a follow-up question. When are you going to come again? What will be the sign of your coming? And so in Matthew 24, we have a mixture of information about the destruction of Jerusalem and then about the end of all things. And we come to this most disturbing parable in the 25th chapter of Matthew. At that time, at what time? At the coming of Jesus. At the second coming of Jesus, at that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now let's just talk historically for a moment. In that day when a woman was engaged to a man, it happened that the son and the father came to the bride and to the bride's family, and there was a request for marriage. It was a formal request for marriage. There was a cup offered, and if the woman accepted that cup, that was a sign of acceptance of the contract for marriage. And then the father and the son would go back to their home and dad and son would begin a building project to add on to the house so that there would be enough room for this new family in the family compound. The building could take perhaps six months, could take a year. So the normal expectation was that for that first year, they new bride and groom were considered legally as having been wed, even though they have not yet consummated the wedding. They are looked upon as married. So during this time, the bride will not break this relationship if another suitor shows up. She is considered married, as is he. At the end of this building project, the groom 
with his attendants go to get the bride, to bring them back for a great banquet. Now, Jesus knew all of this background and this history, and so he begins to talk about his second coming in terms of the bridegroom coming back for his bride. The communion cup that is offered to the disciples is in fact that offer of marriage. And it was accepted. And the church is now waiting for the consummation of the wedding supper, that great banquet. So now Jesus begins to tell a parable that sharpens this focus for us by saying that there are 10 virgins who have taken their lamps and they've gone out to meet the bridegroom because they've heard that the groom is coming, the messenger has told them, and so they have gone out from the bride to escort the bridegroom to pick up the bride. And then together, as one great company of celebration, they will go back to the wedding supper. Now what becomes so very, very uncomfortable is that it's obvious in this parable that Jesus is speaking about the church. Speaking about you and me. And he says that there are five foolish virgins and five wise virgins. In other words, he drew a line right down the middle of the church. And he said, half of you are going to enter in and half of you are not going to enter in. They would all say, we love, we love the bridegroom. We love the bridegroom. We want to be virgins. In other words, there has been some attempt on their part to walk with the bridegroom. These are not strangers out on the street. These are people who have entered into this contractual relationship. But they run out of oil. What's that mean? Well, in Scripture, oil represents the Holy Spirit. All ten of the virgins seem to be slumbering. Today, the church, we are slumbering. We are not adding daily to our body those who are to be saved. Many of you in this house tonight have not brought with you the flock that God would have you bring with you because you've been slumbering. And the cry of many of our hearts is, oh God, wake me up. Wake me up, oh God. I don't want to slumber. There's nothing in this parable that tells us that they had to slumber. In fact, there is nothing in this parable that would tell us they could not have continued on the journey all the way to the bridegroom's house. But they artificially set a place and said, we'll go this far, but we won't go any further. And as soon as we come to that point in our walk with Jesus, where we say we're willing to go this far, we're willing to pay this price, but we're not willing to go any further until we see some sign of God's blessing. Sleep is the next option, because boredom sets in. 
they would never have gone to sleep had they been walking. But because they stopped and they settled in to a reasonable place they suspected. And in that reasonable place, they grew tired of just talking to each other. A whole church goes to sleep when it just talks to each other. When it just prays with each other. You know what starts to wake us up? When some drug addict comes in. Or some demon-possessed person. And the church is forced to get on its feet and start walking again. And pressing into the land of darkness. This congregation needs a, an internet radio station so that we have some way of reaching out and touching other lives so that at least you'll have to write emails back. Isn't that foolish? You go to work every day. What's wrong with talking to those people about the gospel of Jesus? Suffering persecution at the workplace for the sake of Jesus Christ. I don't want this congregation to be either the five wise or the five foolish virgins. I want to be the, the ten walking virgins. I want to be the ten virgins on the move toward the bridegroom, toward Jesus. Have you in any way in your mind or your heart settled down to say, I'm not going to keep pressing toward Jesus. I think I finally understand enough truth that I can just rest here for a while. You're in danger. I don't know what it is, but something about stopping. The lamps consume more oil. While you're moving, you're getting more oil. When you're resting, it's draining away. So I ask you tonight to look at your life and ask yourself, are you coasting? I've only seen people coast when they're going downhill. Generally, we don't coast uphill. We coast when we're going downhill. So we're either pressing into Jesus and growing more and more hungry for his presence, or we're coasting and we're going downhill. So we have these ten virgins. They've cut off the world. They've cut off the things of the world. And they've said, we're going to follow the Lord God of heaven. These are Christians. But at midnight, the cry rings out, Here, here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. All the virgins, they wake up and they trim their lamps. But some of them are almost out of oil. And they begin to turn to others and say, can I have some of your oil? Now, I don't like this story very much. Because I want to be able to say, you want oil? Come on, I'll give you oil. I've got lots of oil, I'll give you oil. But you know what? Nobody is going to get into heaven 
on my coattails. Nobody's going there on yours either. God has no grandchildren. He only has his own children. No grandchildren. Did you understand? That means that you have to go to him directly to get the oil. The oil can't come from me. It can't come from your mother, your sister, your brother, your wife or your husband. It has to come from Jesus. Now you notice Jesus also says you have to buy it. You have to buy the oil. The oil is not given freely. There is a cost. The cost are the hours in the prayer closet, the hours reading the scriptures, the hours walking in step-by-step obedience to the commands of Jesus. As we step into those places of abiding, John 15, the oil is poured out into our life, into our vessel. If suddenly the bridegroom were to come tonight, would you be out of oil? Would you be empty? Would others come to you and say, Oh, it's Jesus. Can you give me some oil? Would you be saying that? My greatest fear is that I'm going to somehow slumber off and not have the oil of the Holy Spirit in my heart. There are some signs of slumbering. Remember I told you last time we were together about this parable found in the fourth chapter of Mark, the parable of the sower. We're told that the secret of the kingdom of heaven is given to us in this parable of the sower found in Mark 4. And so I have to go to Mark 4 and look at this parable of the sower in order to be able to accurately interpret this parable of the ten virgins. Because the parable of the sower has the secret. So what's the secret we find in the parable of the sower that will talk to us about what it means to be without oil and why we don't have oil. Let me read it for you. Mark, the fourth chapter. Still others, in verse 18, Mark 4, 18, still others, like seeds sown among thorns, hear the word, But the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desire for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. In other words, when you go to sleep, it's because there are thorns growing in your life. And those thorns will choke out all productivity for the kingdom of heaven. And those thorns are very specifically identified by Jesus. The first thorn is the worry of this life. That word worry in the Greek is very clear. It is not neurotic worry. It is responsibilities, daily responsibilities. 
So Jesus is saying the number one reason why Christians will slumber and be non-productive is because they have so many responsibilities to take care of. And for Americans, this is the epitome. Because I was taught from day one, my first responsibility is not to be holy. My first responsibility is to be responsible. That's my responsibility, to be responsible. To take care of business. And of course, we expect as Americans as we grow older that we're going to have more toys. We're going to have a bigger house. We're going to have more responsibilities. So we get our motorcycles and we get our boats and we get our bikes and we get our this and we get our that. And each one of those technological instruments demand a certain level of maintenance. We have our emails. It's amazing to me all the things we have. And of course we have to get the house just right and we have to take care of the car and we have to meet all these responsibilities. I urge you tonight to look at your responsibilities and say, how can I get shut of most of them? Because most of them are not required by the kingdom of heaven. It's time for us to divest ourselves of every encumbrance to reduce and to simplify the way we live so that we don't have all of these responsibilities. The jobs that we go to, those are not to be our responsibilities. Those are to be our places of ministry. We don't go to work to earn money as a Christian. A Christian goes to work because that's the assigned field of Salvation by the Lord. That's the field of harvest that the Lord has assigned to us. Scriptures tell us, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be given unto you. So if we're Christian, the curse of Eden has been broken at the cross so that we no longer earn our bread by the sweat of our brow. Jesus sweat blood at the cross for me. I'm now set free. My daily bread comes now from the hand of God. I have the manna. I pray each morning, oh God, give me that portion of my daily bread. Give me that portion of your broken body to give me strength to walk this out. Some of you are still going to jobs to earn money because you've been unwilling to cross through the valley of Baca, the valley of tears, where you transition from the way of the world to the way of the living God. It's time we make that transition and wake up from our slumber. This thorn of responsibility has grown up and is consuming our hearts and our lives. My responsibility today, I will confess openly, is Jesus. My responsibility is the kingdom of heaven. And everything else must be subject under that responsibility. 
My children are no longer my children. They belong to Jesus. My house is no longer my house. It belongs to Jesus. My car is no longer my car. It belongs to Jesus. Everything I have and everything I am belongs in the hand of Jesus. And if I'm still claiming it and holding on to it and thinking that I must take care of it according to my flesh, I'll be exhausted. I'll have no time to read the word. I'll have no time to pray. When was the last time you took a day and just spent the day weeping before God, crying out for God? Or have you been too busy? Have you been too busy? When was the last night of prayer you spent where your heart was so stirred for the lost that you could not go to sleep? No, more often... Our hearts are stirred by our own responsibilities, our own thorns. They pierce us and we can't rest because our thorns pierce us. It's time to get these thorns cut down and burned. Thorns can only be dealt with with fire. They can't be cultivated as we like to do. All pride and responsibility to the things of this world must be broken or we will find ourselves as these ten virgins sleeping, waking to find that Satan has stolen away all of our oil and we're cast aside. And in spite of all of our professions, we're shut out of the kingdom of God. Now there's another thorn, the deceitfulness of wealth. Money promises such lies. Money says, you can have the house you desire. All you have to do is get enough money. I can't tell you as a pastor how many times People have come to me with great dreams and visions, and I say to them, what's stopping you? Pastor, I don't have enough money. The number of men and women who have come to Pastor Jan and myself and said, we've been called to pastor, and we say, what's holding you back? And they say, we don't have enough money. I tell you, if money had been a factor, we would not be here tonight. We walked away from the money and we said, we don't have to have money, we have to have Jesus. And Jesus, if he called us, will pay for what he ordered. Now, do you know how you can be certain that we've been ordered to be here? We're fed, we're clothed, we're cared for by Jesus. He's restored all that the enemy has stolen from us. Now, do you understand what I'm saying to you tonight? Money, according to the lie of the world, brings us security and power. But it's a lie. It does not bring us security, and it does not bring us power. It brings us a thorn that grows up and chokes the very life from our hearts. And some of you have still not put your money on the altar of God. 
you still believe that money has to be held as a God separate from the living God of heaven. And so like the children of Israel, you gather and you have an altar of burnt offering where Aaron offers the burnt sacrifice and behind that altar you have the Baal God and you worship at both altars. When the cry goes forth, the bridegroom cometh, you'll have no oil. You'll have been in church all your life. You'll have tried to live a righteous life as you were able to. But the thorn, the deceitfulness of wealth will have grown into your life. And, and by the way, I'm not talking here about a lot of money. A little bit of money can do the same thing that a lot of money can do. I mean, give me a little bit of money and I'll learn how to deal with that little bit of money in such a way that it will control my whole life. I'll connive. I'll go shopping for special bargains. I'll become an expert at squeezing that buffalo until it screams. In other words, this is not some curse that grows up in only the lives of the wealthy. This curse of money grows up in the life of every man and every woman, every boy and girl. And it says, I want what I want, and I will find a way to get it. And until the Holy Spirit comes and deals with this issue of money, we will have no peace in our lives. So that when we see a need, we don't say to ourselves, how can I get more money? We say, how can I get more of Jesus? When there's a financial lack, we don't say, oh, look at this financial lack. We say, oh, look at the absence of Jesus. And we go to Jesus and we confess our need. We don't go to other people and say, oh, could you help me here? We go to Jesus and we say, Jesus, I have a lack here. And you're my provision. I need more of your body. Can I eat more of your body? So your wife, she says, look, we just have to have this money for this. We just have to have it. And if you were providing for us what you should have, we should have that. Look at the stage of life we're at. We should be able to have this. I ought to be able to have a birthday cake for my kids. I ought to be able to have a birthday cake for my kids. That's a small thing. I ought to be able to get them a new pair of shoes. I ought to be able to do this, and I ought to be able to do that. I've heard some people say that, and then they've gone and used the credit card because they think they ought to have it. And they think they're due it. They think they're owed it because they have worked hard. They don't have the money, but they've worked hard. So they go and get it. What's sin before God? 
I want something for my child. Did your child come to you and ask for it? Then why don't you as a child of the Father go to him and ask for it? Except you become as little children, you cannot enter into the kingdom of God. So what about going to the Father and asking him what his will is regarding this and then being satisfied with his answer? What about listening to his heart and saying, I'll agree with your heart, Father. But oh, I tell you what, my kids have to have this. I'm not a good dad if I can't provide that. Oh, I can't tell you how long I beat myself up for being a poor provider. Being a poor provider. And my kids grew up with a lot more money than I grew up with. But I'm the poor provider. And I believe that lie. And I believed it until I came to Jesus and repented of that sin. And I cut down by the power of the Spirit and the blood of Jesus, I cut down that ugly thorn of love of money. I tell you, it's a lot easier to have no money than to have money. When you have no money, there's nothing you can do except cry out. The problem comes when you get more money. And you haven't been disciplined in the way of the Spirit. So now you have the ability to buy basically whatever you like to buy. And now the thorn can grow unchecked in your life. And let anybody put their finger on that thorn. Now you're messing in my business. Don't mess with my business, Pastor. Did you know it's a lot easier to tithe on $10 than it is in $10,000? $10, I can give a dollar. Who can't give a dollar? But when you start to have money come into you, $100,000, $200,000, I'm going to pay tithe on that? And you look at the size of that check and you say, what? The Lord knows how to test us at every point. Because he wants this issue of money dealt with once and for all. Either he is the bread of life or the world is the bread of life. Which is it for you? Does a lack of finances cause you to cry out for more of Jesus? Or does it cause you to complain against him? Which does it do? That tells you the size of the thorn that's growing in your heart. Let's go to the third thorn. The the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. The desire for other things. Could I name a few of those things? Cameras. Hobbies. Pleasure. Any good thing. If it becomes an obsession with our heart, 
recreation of any kind, work. Some of us have tendencies to be workaholics. We think if we're not out there hitting it, we're not doing anything worthwhile. The thought of resting in Jesus is utterly foreign. To be a man, you have to be bruising yourself against the plow. If you're not bruising yourself against the plow, you're not doing anything worthwhile. You've got to be dirty. You've got to be sweaty, right? You've got to get blisters on your hands. You've got to be a man. What? This whole heart of desiring other things is a thorn that grows up in us until finally it chokes out all spiritual life. Tonight I would ask you, what or who is the love of your life? For some of you at your house or your cars or your jobs or your kids or the way you look, your family, your dreams, your visions of being something for God, your vision for being something great. You know, no fear, go for it. You can become whatever you wish to become. That's a thorn growing up in the heart. I can't become anything I want to become. I can't become God. And bottom line, all I ever wanted to be was God. Isn't that what you were taught? Control your own destiny. Be in charge. Eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Leave the evil off to the side. Just grab the good. Become very wise. Wasn't that what you were taught? I was taught that. It's a thorn that grows up. Anything in my life, anything in my heart that causes me to feast on anything but Jesus Christ is a thorn that has grown up in my soul and it will choke out the word of God so that I am utterly unproductive for the kingdom of heaven. And I can be in church all my life and be utterly unproductive for the kingdom of God. Because the thorns have grown up in my life and I've pampered them and fertilized them. I like their flowers. What's growing up tonight in your life? Are there steps of obedience that God has asked you to take? Places of abiding that Jesus has asked you to take that you have refused to step into because bottom line, you just don't want to. Or are you in every area of your life hungering after Jesus? With your husband and your wife, are you talking about Jesus in the private quarters of your life? What consumes your conversation? Do the children consume your conversation? Do your business plans consume your conversation? 
Do your bills and your lack of money consume your conversation? Do your crises consume your conversation? Or is your conversation consumed by a love for Jesus Christ? And you recognize that every lack you have in your heart and every lack you have in your life was given to you that you might seek after Jesus Christ and feast on him because he's the bread of life. Every pain that comes to us in this walk is a pain meant to direct us more deeply into the heart of God. Every point of suffering in our life is given to us to cause us to press more deeply into the heart of God. Joy. Joy is a byproduct. I recently met with a young woman. Jan and I were together. This young woman came to the National Prayer Chapel for some time. She's been absent now for many months. Jan's first words to her, why are you running from Jesus? Why are you running from Jesus? And before she could answer, the Holy Spirit prompted me to reply. I put my hand out and I stopped her. I said, wait a minute, don't answer yet. I can answer for you. I know why you've been running from Jesus. She looked at me, why? I said, Jan, she's running from Jesus because she wants her life. And she'd like Jesus as a side dish. This young woman looked at me and she said, All right, you're right. I want my life. I said, Are you happy? She said, I am very happy. I said, if you're so happy, why do I see a hole in your heart you could drive a semi-truck through? She stepped back. Got tears in her eyes. She said, would you pray for me? But wait a minute. Don't pray that God will discipline me. What do you want me to pray for you? Pray that I'll have joy and pray that I'll find a husband. I said, oh, you want joy and you want a husband. But you don't want the Jesus who brings the joy and the husband. I'm going to pray that Jesus deals with you. Oh, no, don't pray that Jesus deals with me. And she fled. And I've been praying all this week, oh God, deal with this daughter. Call her after your heart. For she has thorns that have grown up and are choking out the word of God that was planted in her soul. And those thorns are going to steal from her eternal life. And she will go to hell if the Lord Jesus does not step in and intervene this is not a work that you or I can do. All we can do is speak to her as the word of God comes. But I have to give you one part of the report that just 
I praise God for. She said, every morning, 8.30 or 9 o'clock, I get a telephone call from Kevin and Sultana. I said, have you answered? She said, now I look at the phone and I hold it. And I put it down and I roll over and go back to sleep. They should know where I am. Oh, there's a person the Holy Spirit's not going to leave alone. As a gift of grace, they're being prayed for. She's not being let go of. I want to tell you tonight, God does not want to let go of you. God doesn't want to let go of you. These five foolish virgins broke the heart of God when he had to say to them, I don't even know you, depart from me. Imagine they've been in the house of God all these years, and the Lord says to them, I'm sorry, I don't know you, and closes them out of his kingdom. God doesn't want to let go of you. It breaks his heart. But if thorns grow up in your spirit, you will sever yourself from the love of God. You will sever yourself from the love of God. If these three thorns grow up in your spirit. So tonight I ask you, do you have thorns growing? I'm a farmer, and I have to tell you, thorns never grow alone. Where you find one thorn, you'll find others. They begin to grow, and they begin to take over a whole pasture. And you can't just chop them off and expect them to be gone. You've got to burn them out. You've got to deal ruthlessly with the thorns. I want to tell you tonight, any place that you go for nurturance, any place you go for supply, if it is anyone but Jesus Christ, it is a thorn in your life. And the Lord God wants you to deal with it because it will grow and choke out your life. How do you stand with Jesus? How's your household stand with Jesus? Are there thorns growing and choking out the word of God in your spirit? Will you let the Lord tonight begin to deal with your love of other things, with your love of money, and with your responsibilities Will you let Jesus begin to deal with those? Will you go to him and cry aloud about these things and not stop crying out? Or will you walk away like the rich young ruler? Sad, but walk away. Almighty God, our hearts are such wicked things. Fickle, blowing in the wind. 
going this way and that way, trying to seek what we desire for ourselves. And I pray tonight, Almighty God, that you will give each in this house the courage to continually grab a hold of that new heart where the law is written on those flesh tablets because it is the heart of Jesus. Oh Lord, have mercy upon us tonight. I pray in your holy name. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress, brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia. Write to us at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195, or visit us online at nationalprayerchapel.com. God bless you. We love you. throne of mercy find a sweet relief kneeling there in deep contrition help my Thank you.
the spring of all my comfort More than life to me Whom have I on earth beside thee Whom in heaven but thee Thou art called.